Today, we welcome SpecPack as a Q4 sponsor. With the holiday cycle fast approaching, we never know what the fraudster's next scheme will be. With Spec and their patented no-code orchestration platform, you can be ready for them this season with full coverage and visibility into the entire customer journey with the ability to collect data, deploy in any tech stack, and connect to any solution to answer their attacks, such as calling third-party APIs, building logic and workflows, all with the ability to take action anywhere in the entire customer journey. Visit www.specprotected.com to learn more and schedule a demo to make your holidays a little more jolly. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fraud Boxer Podcast. I have one that I have been waiting for for a really, really long time to do. I got Intersect on here, and I got Pradeep Sampath, who is straight up CPO over there. So I got all the way at the top. So how are you doing today? Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. I've followed your podcast for a while now, so uh, glad to be on the show. Doing well. So I heard about your company at the uh, MasterCard conference way back in uh it was in miami in 2022 back in like i think it was may of 2022 i'd never heard anything about it um but heard all about it during cocktail hour and was pretty excited about some of the stuff that 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 you guys are doing and we'll talk about all of that you know but um i just will say that i haven't been really excited about a company in a really long time and i think that you guys might have checked that box so before we get into what you guys do let's get into you who you are where are you from all that fun stuff so we can kind of level set for the audience so how are you doing where are you from <laughs> uh, doing well i i'm based here in the dc area i've lived here for over 20 years um lived in texas before that and was a bit of a global nomad before that so uh, yeah, DC area is home now. Do you like the DC area? Like, like is it is it weird? Like with all the politics there, or like is it just like normal? Like you, where you see senators walking around, driving by the Pentagon every day. We do run into one of them, you know, every once in a while, while in downtown DC. But I hang out in um, in Northern Virginia, okay. which is about you know twenty twenty five minutes right outside DC. Um, and so I want to say I'm not responsible for a lot of the drama that happens inside <laughs> the Beltway. But it's it's great, right? Because you're you're but uh, you know half half an hour's drive or a metro right away from the center of where all the action is, right? It's it's a great place to have kids grow up in the middle of all the museums and history and culture. Yeah. It's very diverse. The weather is great. You've got four seasons, so yeah, it's it's a great great part of town. So I um I went there in my eighth grade. We had a big field trip over there, and I am a sucker for places that have history. Yep. Some sort of something happened there. And I always remember in DC, especially like the monuments, first of all, the monuments are cool. And like, we had to get up like either super early in the morning or we were out super late at night looking at these things. And like the air was just so cool and it felt so special being there. And I think like all the things like, like how like the, the Lincoln Memorial has like 16 columns. Cause he's like the 16th president type thing. Like all of like the little pieces that mean something there is so cool. And I was there during cherry blossom season uh, oh, that's that was so I was lucky with that. That was really, really cool. So walking down there, we were at like the uh, I think it's the it's the FDR Memorial, the water fountain one uh, yeah. with all like Jefferson around the tidal basin. Yeah, yeah, like all of those the the cool 
blossoms blowing everywhere. It was super cool. I want to get back again in my adult life because like, I think I'll appreciate it more and I won't be so tired. Yep. Like they kept us children up for days. Uh, and so I was super <laughs> right. tired. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the weather like there today? It's a, it's a rainy and an overcast day, but I can't wait for fall. Yeah. The fall is my favorite time of the year here with the transition of the leaves and the foliage. And it's, it's, it's looking forward to a great fall. We uh, were just chatting before we jumped on and hit the record button on this, but um, I've been traveling a lot this week and I spent some time up in the Bay area on Santa Clara for the MRC Santa Clara event last, uh, last week. I guess, geez, we are on coming back into another week. And then I uh, immediately had to fly up to Oregon uh, to go to my brother's little, my little brother's bachelor party. And we went to the um, central part of Oregon where we went whitewater rafting and whitewater rafting in Oregon in the end of September is very cold. Uh, wasn't, I didn't think that <laughs> one through and then it started raining. And then I remembered why I left Oregon because it is just miserable when it's pure rain in Oregon, there's nothing to do. So uh, I was really happy to come back to my 80 degree sunshine uh, last night and now I'm going to go golfing. So, you know, <laughs> here we go. Um, so let's talk about you as far as your work history. So you um, are in what we call the identity space and you've been in the identity mm -hmm. space for a really long time. And I want to kind of level set with people like what, what that meant for your journey in the identity space. Um, because I think you had some companies that are pretty, pretty noteworthy and you've done some things that are pretty noteworthy and in fraud, you know, identity is probably like about one third of, of what we do, you know, like obviously we do monitoring transactions and trying to prevent chargebacks or things like that, but getting the identity of the account user is something that we have really, especially the last 10 years, put a lot of focus on. And I think that your guys' product, when we get to that point is going to help us a lot, um, once people become more aware of it. So Yeah. Let's talk about it. Where how how was your identity journey been? Yeah, it's um it's been not a direct journey into identity, but I've had a few pit stops along the way. Um, so I've been in this domain of product strategy and product management for twenty years now. Um, it it all started um, in logistics and supply chain management back in the day. And I made my way over to B2B e-commerce and then to consumer-facing e-commerce and payments. So basically a long-running thread um, across all of these different positions has been the need to establish the identity of the individual involved in these e-commerce transactions. So I got into identity and authentication as a key enabler of e-commerce workflows from user onboarding to... Um, you know, payments to fraud detection, fraud prevention. So I did all that in support of e-commerce. And then my pure play entry into identity was a few years ago when I joined here a DC area identity company called IDMe okay. uh, and headed up their product for um, for a few years and helped them through a period of hyper growth. So that was my first pure play position in identity, but I've spent a number of years supporting identity yeah. as part of e-commerce uh, before that. Yeah, I guess the logistics, you kind of got to do know where the products are going, where the, the packages are going, where the yeah. containers are going and who they're going to. You know, for us, we have a, a big um, compliance piece of our business to make sure that we're selling to the proper sets of individuals. Yeah. But ID me, I think, is something that especially um, in the modern age, we've 
I think of most, I think hopefully everybody on that's listening to the show has encountered it in some way because they probably had to pay their taxes. Yeah, for sure, Jordan. So I spent about four years heading up product strategy and product management for that company. So what what was what is IDME? It's a digital identity company and it helps individuals like you and I to verify our identity and then securely uh, share it mm-hmm. online with folks who need to know about us, right? Um, and so we built a product to fulfill the company's core premise, which is that as individuals, we control our identity and we shouldn't make the same person do the same thing twice if you can avoid it. And then um, an individual should be able to take their identity with them wherever they go and share it with a relying party or a website that requests it in a privacy-preserving manner. So that's the product that I have helped build over at uh, IDME. So IDME, was it is it part of the government or was it a private company? It's a private company. Uh, and and we serve, uh, I still say we, uh, yeah, they I serve uh, organizations uh, both in the public sector and uh, in the commercial space and um, had the chance to serve state governments, federal governments and various commercial organizations. So with IDME, like basically I can, it's like a cross website. So I could sign in. So I would have my IDME account with all my verified information, yeah. but then I could sign into these third-party websites using IDME, and then they would have the basically access to the information, right? Am I am I in? Am I Correct. Perfect. Because I've only used yeah, it at the IRS, but now I know that I can use it in other places. That that that's a little more appealing to me. So good to know. I think a lot of a lot of the focus, especially around IDME specifically as a brand um, and a thing, we started hearing about it a lot during COVID. Uh, how do you do you mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Like, am I accurate with that? Is that is that really when it picked up more steam or I mean, you worked there from way before COVID. So you you definitely knew about it. But I think the it became more of like the, the regular lexicon for us regular consumers around COVID time. Yeah, I was uh, had a ring seat view to all that action during the pandemic and um, before and, and, and after as well. So two things happened, right? One is the company IDME has always served specific communities of users like members of the military, teachers, first responders, nurses, doctors, uh, so that brands could reach out to these communities and and, and establish long-term relationship with these communities. So with COVID, what happened is brands truly wanted to say thank you to first responders, to nurses, to doctors, and they they kind of um, doubled down on their relationship with these communities through IDME. And so we had to spent a lot of time um, quickly preparing for the increased volumes that we saw as part of that process. But on the other hand, what also happened was the government, uh, both the federal government and various state governments started to distribute the pandemic unemployment uh, insurance funds to various uh, citizens. And and we uh, were fortunate to earn the trust of many organizations who'd use us to verify the identity of individuals so that they can securely receive benefits from the government. And that was that was a very exciting time, but it was also very stressful yeah. because while you had to make it frictionless for the legitimate users as, as much as you can, you also wanted to make sure that you prevent fraud, which was uh, essentially hitting us through various vectors, um, whether it was petty criminals, organized crime, uh, nation states. So it was to create a platform to make identity verification seamless, but also help prevent fraud at the same time. So 
a lot of things happened uh, around that. Time. Was was that like the the stimulate the stimmy checks or um or was that yeah. the PPP loans or was both? Uh, stimmy checks. Stimmy checks. Yeah. Those are those are everybody's favorites. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about where you're at now. Um, I'm going to kind of level set what I think, and then I'm going to let you kind of come in and um, correct me a little bit about it. So so um, if if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong. So I have been on my show here, the show that we're, we're recording right now, uh, talking about mm-hmm. um, how I would prefer to have some sort of identity token situation that like basically uh, that can be shared with other individuals, websites, those sorts of things that shows some sort of authenticity that it's really me. Now, I think mm-hmm. um, as as we move towards this future where people try to talk about passwordless and i think we i think we have a section mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about that um that we we are yep. we're basically settling it seems to be on calling these things pass keys these days like a passwordless login mm-hmm. is a pass key so in my yep. head i based on how it's been described to me i understand intersect is basically being a facilitator of that sort of thing where my identity kind of becomes tokenized it can be used in places to verify that it is really myself, really Jordan Harris, doing these things, making these purchases, logging into these websites, and hopefully allow some sort of um, pass key situation. So why don't you tell me if I'm right or wrong, and then tell me what Intersect is and how it all works, if you could. <laughs> yeah, all the all the all the use cases you described in terms of your interaction with various websites and how Intersect plays a role in making that authentication. Uh, happen is absolutely true. And, and I might put a bit of a fi- finer point on it to shine the light on who Intersect is and what we do. So we're a technology company in the fintech space. Uh, and I work, like you said, with um, with them as a as, as chief product officer. The company was founded in 2010, right? So we've been around for, for a long time. And we developed security and authentication solutions exclusively focusing on consumers like you and I, interacting with our banks and financial institutions and doing so in a way that's truly reflective of what is it that you're trying to do at this given point in time. And I'll explain how we go about doing it, but it's it's to have a clever way of applying heuristics, both data and device driven, and present the right kind of authentication scenario to make your interaction with your bank as seamless as possible so, while preventing fraud. So sometimes I might get a password. Sometimes I might get like a, an MFA thing. So it's it's dynamic. Yep. Got it. Yes, it is. It's exactly that. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah. So the, the, the premise that we operate in is that usernames and passwords have long outlived their usefulness. Oh, yes. <laughs> Using it for 60 years, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm tired of them. <laughs> passwords go, go back to 1960s, right? Um. But uh, maybe 15 years ago, we started being presented with this so-called panacea, the silver bullet called the one-time password. Mm. And that was supposed to solve everything that ails passwords. It did put a layer of security on top of um, uh, various interactions, but then it's clunky from a UX perspective. You've got to take that number and stick that into your website or your mobile app. It's not always happening in the right time. You don't get the one uh, the OTP in time all the time. Uh, but it's also more importantly and more dangerously, it's a prime vector for account takeover, mm. fraud, for man in the middle attacks, for SIM swaps. And so for all of those reasons, we exist so that 
we can get interactions between people and their banks away from passwords and one-time passwords to one that's more expected in how you deal with your devices using your biometrics in a, in a seamless fashion that's in line with the risk of the transaction that you're about to undertake with the bank. Good. So that's wow. that's in a nutshell how we go about doing it and uh, and why we exist as a business. Yeah, so that's that leads a lot a lot in there because you know going back to like the one time passwords and I think like a lot of our our balance you know especially like on fraud teams um because ATOs usually does wind up falling under our scope but is yep. how do we balance like a good user interaction for the majority uh, without compromising that, you know, that experience for the majority just to try and save the few, you know, and account takeovers, yeah. you know, like presenting a, like a, a one-time password or a, a multi-factor authentication every single time isn't always the best use case, especially for like American consumers where like, mm -hmm. um, that's why the reasons like we 3D secure is kind of not, doesn't have a whole lot of adoption here. I think that, that the people are getting more used to it um, in a more, longer term basis now um seeing those sorts of things from their banks especially with like uh with like zell and and all those products like having more multi-factor in it encounters like you you encounter these things more so it's becoming more normal but it still is right you're right clunky like it's it kind of sucks in order to have to enter something else like actually um just just a little bit ago i was trying to sign into zoom so i uh -huh. i i use a personal computer, obviously, to record these podcasts. And I hadn't used it in a little while. I've been using my normal work computer. So I was trying to sign into Zoom and it was like super, like it tried to, it was like, it was like, first of all, uh, approve the Zoom on your other device. And I had already put away my other device. So I don't want to do that. And then it's like, send the password. And then the password, like the OTP was wrong. And I'm like, dude, I just need to sign yep. into this because I'm about to record, you know, like That's I need right. to have this all set up. And it was, it was frustrating for me and it was a poor, user experience and I and mm -hmm. uh zoom if you're listening to this I know a couple of people that, that might be listening to this um please fix that because that sucked but uh how can intersect help me out with that like what else what else is what what are some ways that it could do um yeah 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 I know we, we said why why does it exist but why why does it exist if we if we could yeah I'll, I'll, you know we we serve banks we serve financial institutions and 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 we do it to help them along three paths, if you will, on their journey. One is prevent and conquer fraud. Mm, good. Deliver <laughs> a better user experience to your consumers. And then achieve regulatory compliance without, you know, putting all your company's resources behind getting the compliance in order. Now, what, what is the specific problem we're looking to solve? As a consumer, right, you and I, we interact with our banks internet banking through the browser, or sometimes we log into the bank's mobile apps. We make a purchase using a credit card or a debit card, might move money through Zelle or any other method, might make a phone call into the call center. Yeah. Also maybe chat with the agent on a, on a chat window, right? Now, the way you tell the bank that it is you, I guarantee you it varies based on which of these above mentioned methods You've, you've used. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, the experience is not consistent and the bank doesn't really recognize that it's the same person that's interacting with them across all these different journeys 
that we call channels. That's a good point because so intersects, like, yeah, yeah it, we want to stitch all this together. I like that because like calling in, you get KBAs, you know, like using yep. a, a mobile app, you're going to get a, a the multi-factor. There's, yeah, you're yep. right. That the, the, I never really thought about that before that like the way that I interact with them, I get a completely different set of authentication. So I never thought about that before. <laughs> right. So that's, that's, that's what we're doing to stitch all these experiences together to learn from uh, your own preferred approaches that you made known and made aware to the bank and, and help the bank surface the right kind of challenge based on what you're looking to do at a given point in time and not look at it as this sledgehammer for every single uh, interaction. That's super interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I actually have my mind blown right now because I never really thought about that. So what are some of the things that you guys are doing to possibly stitch that yeah. together? And then we'll, when we'll after this section, guys, we'll start talking about pass keys too because that's there's just so much in here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So um, we're calling this context-aware authentication. I like that. Right. Make authentication aware of the context of the customer's interaction with the bank. So I want to say it's like humanizing authentication. Because we use a risk-based approach, the data that we know, um, the interactions across all these different channels, and what preferences have you made known and and then deliver the best uh, best authenticator. Also knowing full well that part of the mandate is also to prevent fraud. And it's absolutely clear that fraudsters are going to access every single channel, right? Whether it's the, mov, uh, the mobile, the web, the call center, the chat, and they're gonna find what the weakest link is. And then they're gonna go all in on that they, weakest link. 100%. So just because we're making the UX seamless across these channels, you can't open a vector to the fraudsters, right? So that's how we bring these things together. Interesting. Yeah, once they find it, they're going to they're hammer it again and again and again. Like that's what they... Yeah, and, and there's this word, Jordan, that's used in the industry called frictionless. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it does a little bit of disservice because I don't think it's frictionless that that is the ideal end state. Uh, I'd almost call it expected friction or anticipated friction. Interesting. That's a, that's an interesting way to look at that because I think, you know, a, a lot of people listening to this will be like, they've been trying to find a, a frictionless future. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. Like we, how we approach like our, our ATO situations and how we approach our new account creates and stuff, you know, we're, we're trying to find that frictionless thing, but I like the way, if you think about it, like, um, anticipated friction is is an interesting way like if i'm doing something different i'm in a different location or i change my phone i think like especially when i change my phone i get a whole new phone um i anticipate Absolutely. i anticipate getting multi-factor requests to authenticate that that new device belongs to yeah. actually me it's like so that that's an interesting right. way to put it the anticipated friction like yeah yeah it's almost like you know if, if the parents who are listening to this podcast would would totally relate to this uh, schools, school zones, right? During kids pick up and drop off times, you almost expect there to be certain methods in place to keep your drop off and pick up actions safe. You expect there to be speed bumps and a flashing light with a speeding limit, maybe even a crossing guard. And you you almost like, if if it wasn't there, you're like, what's going on? Yeah. I want there to be some some protections in place. So from a, from a banking, commerce, and transactions perspective, if you're just going about your day, it's fall, right? So you're going to go about to your Starbucks and order your pumpkin spice latte oh, as one does. Yeah. 
probably don't need a whole lot of friction, but sensing and responding to your location, if you're trying to move a bunch of money that you haven't moved before, are you trying to you know, connect with a new beneficiary or uh, are you doing things from a new device? You need to sense and respond to all of these different patterns that you're engaging in and then be always on and always watching, but have an authentication that's commensurate with the risk that you perceive in, the, in that interaction. Yeah, like I always drives me crazy if I get like two factored on something that doesn't matter. Like there's no, like if I'm like on my like lose it app and it tries to two FA me, like why does it care? It's a calorie counter, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. But I will say like, definitely when I was trying to wire money for my, the, the escrow money for the house, uh, there was a tremendous amount of friction there as I would expect there to be, you know? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, that's a really good point when you like, you step back and you think about it in that way. But I've, I mean, I do always say like, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta pick your poison because like as, as fraud fighters, specifically the most of the people that are going to be listening to this, like they are, they're always so close to the negative. They, they often forget the, the positive, like that the vast majority of their interactions on their website is, is going to be positive people they don't think about it's these these small percentage of ones that that are not are that are, that are the negative you know and we don't want to just because like one guy one time accidentally sent a hundred thousand dollars to like the prince that was in his email doesn't mean that every single person that like the other hundred thousand people that sent money in the last hour need to be like 2fa but you know so yeah where's the balance balance right. people it's balance <laughs> Yeah, I think we're also uh, doing a lot of work and it's still early days, but like you observed, I think at the beginning of our chat, um, this foray that the industry is experiencing into passwordless authentication, yeah. right? Using pass keys that uh, the various platform uh, platforms are championing right now. Uh, I think that's pretty exciting and we're right in the middle of all that action. Um, and I want to say that passwordless is, is it's as much as about user experience and convenience as it is about security. And, and so we're doing a lot of work in that area as well. I think that the the security thing is is a super interesting part. And that's why I like with you guys specifically, when I was being told about this product, it's it it, it finds the way to do the security piece of it with the passwordless piece, you know, is I think that that's, that's such a, a thing because like, you know, you can turn down passwords and you can, do your own user authentication, you know, but like a lot of us, like e-commerce companies specifically are not, we're not security companies we're e-commerce companies, mm -hmm. you know, and it comes back to that yeah. same thing. That's always a build versus buy. And I think that when there's a lot to be said, when you buy a product from a company that specializes in a specific thing, because we can try and turn yeah. them and build our own tokens and build our own passwordless authentication. But we, have it we don't have the experience to know where the threats necessarily come from from other people that have tried pass keys and i think that having somebody that can handle the passkey piece and the authentication piece and the validation piece is is a really strong way to look at it with some sort of thing like i've always been saying there needs to be some sort of a, a liability shift that comes with an authenticated like a person shouldn't like if they are using and they're opted into something like this and now this isn't something that you guys do this will have to come with government regulations but basically someone yeah. can't claim fraud if they were authenticated um identity style you know like but it would it have right. it's gonna have to come like i mean kind of like we do with 3d secure i think the same thing should happen for people that if they like log into like their account 
and then all of a sudden all their vials are gone because they initiated a transfer like if they authenticated themselves in like it's that's got to be on them you know there has to be some yeah. sort of personal account. and that's why we're we're playing in both the 3d secure world and the you know digital uh and and account access world and trying to see how can we bring these things together right bring in the digital channel the data channel and the payment and the commerce channel together uh to 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 create this profile that transcends these different things and and passwordless using pass keys and and FIRO tokens happens to be one approach, but to your point from a moment ago, it's not the only approach by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I think like, you know, like with the FIDO tokens and like the hardware tokens and things like that, you know, that like the RSA tokens that people have used, you know, for decades, especially people in accounting, they're so used yeah. to those sorts of things. And it, but the, but it validates, you know, like it, it adds a piece of thing. And I think there was like a whole thing years ago about some security issues around one of those things, but like, why can't we do that? digitally too you know does that make sense does that make right. sense to you yeah, yeah yeah and that's where fido started right fido started years ago with w3c and the u2f protocol and that was focused on those hardware keys to serve as a solid robust second factor but since then right thankfully we've evolved from from requiring hardware to leveraging what modern devices bring to bear whether it's devices in the Google ecosystem, the Apple ecosystem, or Microsoft ecosystem, they all have what is currently known as platform authenticators. Okay. Because of which you're able to um, use public-private key cryptography to create strong key pairs that essentially perform passwordless authentication using biometrics without the need to download or use a separate app. So I think that's where uh, adoption is going to increase significantly yeah. because you don't need to download a separate authenticator app. You can simply use inherence, right? Who you are from a from a identity authentication perspective and, and leverage your platform authenticator, leverage cryptography even without knowing you're doing so and authenticate yourself for various transactions. Now, there are challenges with that approach. It, it works very well for a vast majority of low-risk uh, scenarios. But you got to also understand that pass keys can now be synced across devices. They can't be? Right? Apple, you can be. Oh, you so can. Apple can use your keychain. You can use Apple's keychain. Yeah, I do. And, and sync your pass keys across your iPhone, your MacBook, your iPad, and, and somebody else's who you authorize to be part of your keychain uh, things. So, so that passkey can now be synced across devices. So you got to think about what is the use case for synced passkeys and where there is, is there a need for a stepped up security where it's not about synced passkeys, but it's about device bound passkeys where the passkeys remain within the confines of a device. And that's when you're like, great, but I might want to step it up with another um, authenticator going beyond passwordless as well. So I think that that's kind of where I was even talking about even on the, on the earlier part. I know we're totally going off script here, but this is like super interesting to me. Um, the So the, the device piece, okay? So obviously in the device syncing yeah. across, because I, I think the, the, the keychain is is an excellent example to put that in context for me, you know? Um, because like my iPad has it, my iPhone has it, this Mac has it, my personal Mac has it, my, my other personal Mac has it, my work Mac has it, 
all of these different things all have access to that same keychain. And when I change it on one, it changes, it goes through and changes the other. Now, that being said, um, I think, you know, the, the Apple also has like the login with Apple and they have their Apple pay. So all these things are like different mm -hmm. versions of tokens all over the planet. But yep. this is where it comes back is like, so I am participating in this cryptography without realizing it because like it's, it's been, it's been the heavy lifting. It's the companies like you guys do the heavy lifting for us on that. And my thing is, is you, in order to make it real, Mm -hmm. It has to be biometrically authenticated, in my opinion. This is just my opinion. Because without the biometrics, like the physical biometric piece of it, those tokens that they're stored on the device, if, if you if you do a passcode to get in, like a digital a digit passcode, it doesn't matter who's standing there because now they have access mm -hmm. to all of those things. So it has to be biometrically authenticated, I think, for in order to have a super strong value to the to, like like i love face id i love i mean mm -hmm. i love the the thumbprint one more i thought the thumbprint one because i could like lay down and i didn't have to worry about it and i could just but uh <laughs> yeah. but i think that like that those that change in apple to allow us to use that on apps to log into apps mm -hmm. has been one of the biggest fundamental shifts in the app usage ecosystem i think ever mm -hmm. because it made it so easy to to because apps sign you out eventually but it made it so easy to get back into them now there's dumb ones that, right. that, that don't use it right but essentially what i see is happening is when i face id into an app it's literally just keychain copy paste and dropping my password and username in there and doing it anyway but like that that sort of thing has made life so much easier now what i would like to do as mm -hmm. as just a lowly pod podcaster with a couple thousand people here in every episode is I would like to find a way to take that piece. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you guys are doing here and take it a step further to now you're validated. Now it's you, you can do whatever you got to do, but it's on you forever. <laughs> does that make sense? Like, yeah, so it does make sense. And that's why we also um, are, are working a lot on strong device binding, whereby we find ways in which we, we, we kind of bind an identity to a device to help you uh, confirm that it is you that that is operating this device and your interaction with the bank and 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 so on, I'd still say that whichever authenticator method we choose to employ, the core principles have to remain valid. Which is right, every authentication must come with a possession factor, which is something you have, the knowledge factor, which is something you know, and the inherence factor that's something you are. Now. The FIDO world does offer for a biometric authentication that can be based either on your fingerprint, your voice print, facial recognition, iris scans. All of these are biometric markers using which you can convey your, 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 your authentication um, signals through the device and the platform and the, and the keys. Now, where, where it becomes tricky is, like you said, most devices do let you fall back to a key yeah. number of entry if your biometrics doesn't go through, right? That's that's That seems like the weak link. Now. That's a situation where you need to kind of think about, is the risk involved in the transaction big enough that you want to let it go through? Or do you want to have a required selfie, for example, that a user takes before you move $100,000 yeah. to confirm that 
it is genuine presence of the user behind the transaction. I think that like if if you knew the authentication, the unlock method, like was it biometric or was it passcode? Um, and then you change the user's ability to do things based on how it was authenticated. So like if they type the passcode in, they can't move $100,000, but like they could, you know, log in and check the score of the game or log their, uh, their weight for the day, <laughs> you know, but like, like yeah. some sort of yeah. like, yeah, like that, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking of in, in my head about it. But I think like, yeah, the, one of the things too. So Jordan, and, I think yeah. that's, oh, no, yeah, that's exactly right. And I just want to offer uh, a confirmation of your hypothesis in that, um, it's an all of the above strategy, right? In that if you have seen Jordan interact, interact with the bank for years now, if you have behavioral biometrics established, you know the device is trusted, then it, it just gives you a stronger signal as to the veracity of the transaction you're trying to perform. So even if that particular authentication event didn't have all the bells and whistles that you're looking for, you don't have to reject it. You might subject it to a bit of a speed bump or a human review, but you know, in general, there's something to be said about this interaction with Jordan that I yeah. know from my past uh, several years. Yeah, kind of like how we write our old school fraud rules, which is like, you know, you break apart the pieces and like, as long as like 90% of the pieces are there, it's probably the same person. It might have got a new phone or it might be traveling, you know? So that kind of right. that kind of changes a little bit there, but as long as most of it's there, you probably you're fairly certain it's, it's probably the right person. So all of that is great, and I like that. Um, it's given me a lot. Like you can probably nobody can see this, but you can see me. Uh, but like my mind is going like hundred miles an hour right now, just all these different things. Like I, I told you, I've been looking, I've been looking forward to recording this one because I just had so many <laughs> questions. I was really happy that my buddy Greg took a job there. I even comment. I don't comment on on a lot of stuff. Um, but I commented on that. I was like, dude, that's a great company. That's like really cool stuff. And then he put me right in touch with Frank. He put me right in touch with you. And that was like, we went pretty quick on this. So I'm super happy about that, which is great that you guys are that responsive. So let's talk about <laughs> some, some concrete examples, possibly uh, some real world applications. I know we kind of went through some things just now, but let's talk about some real world applications that we might be able to do um, the, around these things that we just talked about, if we could. Yeah, Jordan, for sure. And at Intersect, one thing we're very mindful of is no matter how great the authentication technology is, you got to make sure that it is not being presented in a way that pisses the user off from a user experience perspective. So a lot of research that we do uh, in, our, in our labs is to look at what is the UX and what's the user experience impact of this particular framework or technology we're trying to put out there. Now, Let's take passwordless and passkeys, for example. Now, there are various modern forward-looking companies that are password-free. And that's different from passwordless, which means that right from the time you open an account, you never, ever yeah. require the user to create an account with a password to secure it, ever. I think that's that's... Nirvana, that's future state, yeah. where you create an account which is password free and essentially you orchestrate interactions through biometrics and through device and through trusted channels um, and you never fall back on a password, right? So, however, it's going to take us a minute to get there because your accounts and mine and millions of others are secured with a password right now yeah. and we're trying to introduce 
them to move towards passwordless to enjoy a more secure but frictionless pathway with their with their website, with their apps, with their bank. Now, it's super important to pick the moment when you inspire the user to pick this passwordless workflow and register their pass keys uh, and, and go about doing it. And, and I think there could be four key moments of truth. It could be when you open an account and that would be first price. That's when you ideally do it. Or it could be when the user is trying to log in and I highly discourage against doing that because the user is trying to do something, right? They're trying to either move some money, make a yeah, payment, make off. a purchase. <laughs> don't piss them off. Don't get in their face. Exactly. Um, yeah, so so everybody, website, but, stop asking me for surveys the second I log in. I haven't even done what I needed to do. Don't <laughs> ask me for the survey yet on that. <laughs> the other key moment of truth is when the user is in trouble, when they're locked out and they desperately need to get back into their account, account recovery, forgot password, those kind of use cases. That's another opportunity to help them. But at that time, say, hey, next time, did you know this could be a lot more friction-free if you went this route by registering a passkey or or what have you, uh, but also inside the account settings page where you can say, okay, uh, whenever the user visits their account settings page, you can say you can register your device, your passkeys, so that in the future it can be a more seamless approach. So I think from a concrete practical examples perspective, you got to look at what's the right point in a user's journey, a consumer's journey, where you might inspire them to go this route. But it's always important to have a fallback mechanism. What if the device isn't able to support their passwordless journey at that given point in time? What if biometrics don't work? You got to have a fallback mechanism, whether it's a push notification sent to the mobile app or a QR code or some other method, which is still passwordless, that lets them in instead of locking them out. Yeah, I think like that, I mean... You know all of these things we've been talking about yeah definitely like every my mind has always gone to a what if scenario like what if something happens and which always leads back to basically the enter your your past code situation which is it's a form of fallback but then whether that be sending an email with a magic link to get in like slack does or something like that you know there is that but you know in the password days there's not a lot of fallback. You kind of have to use your password to log in. The only thing you can do is click that forgot your password link uh, and do right. the process again. But uh, so I think that we could probably once we once we get dialed in, once we get we get locked into a type of passwordless world. And I really like the idea of where they start with no password because then you set that expectation. I do like websites that let mm -hmm. me pick my authentication experience too. But I think yep. that um, once we get people to like that use they're used to it point we'll be able to usher them along with less fallback, <laughs> you know. 100%, right? And using various technologies like your magic link in association with the passwordless flow is likely um, able to help the user with fallbacks without reverting back to pesky passwords. Yeah, and that's what I think. And I think like even passwords, like using these authentication keys on the back end is such a stronger thing than somebody just writing password one, you know, like... It's yeah. <laughs> such a, a better fit where you can have two authentication keys on each side with the one being passed in the middle. It's just, right. yeah, so much smarter. So um, kind of, yeah, just kind of derailed that again because that's what I do. Uh, what are, <laughs> so what are some of the, the new things that you guys are, are working on over at Intersect to kind of get us to this passwordless uh, future and in a, in a more stronger way? 
Yeah, I think we're we're also doing some deep research in areas where I think the whole industry is, at least here in the US, uh, for sure globally. Now, some of the recent muscle movements are the launch of FedNow recently, yeah. right? Even though we've had RTP in the US for a while, FedNow, which is gearing more towards consumer-focused real-time payments, is going to be something that we're watching closely and helping um, issuers and financial institutions, banks and credit unions with what's the best way to help customers stay safe in a real-time payments world. And there's lots of global examples we can learn from uh, proliferation in a great way of real-time payments in places like uh, India, in Brazil, in the UK, has had lots of benefits, but we've also learned about some of the fraud that they're seeing out there. And, and so we're we're doing a lot of research in that area. I think that like the Fed now, um, just to jump in on that one, because like I I, I yeah. still think that that's super interesting, and we're so the world's ironing out all the details. But like one of the things I think everybody's scared of is is these faster payments situations, mm-hmm. the banks slowing yep. them down because of fraud, um, and mm-hmm. we kind of just wind back up at square one. So and I could definitely see like you guys being a very strong player in that space for authenticating those transactions so we can keep those payments fast. Like I I really like Yeah, it, it's going to be a team sport. Yeah. And that's what Yeah, you're right Jordan. Yeah, and I think that in any issuers listening to this, like if you're supporting FedNow or, or RTP like sell style payments, um I know there's been a lot of discussion around like issuer liability on those situations, but I think that like just slowing payments down and putting something like account in there or even internal tools is not going to be the right move. I think you're going to have to use somebody like Intersect, which I, I know you guys have great relationships with like the big banks already, but like definitely having secure authentication on either side of that transaction is going to ease a lot of headaches and keep our payments fast. Like, I, so please, issuers listening, do something about it. <laughs> what else you got? Um, well, I think generative AI, right? Deep fakes and all the other fraud um, vectors that it opens up. We've got to be mindful of making sure the platforms stay up with um, the fraudsters games in that area. Absolutely. And then um, while we do that, we also want to make sure that we keep equity and inclusion at the front of our minds because whatever technology that you come up with, it's got to work for people that don't necessarily have the latest device or can offer their biometrics in an equitable manner in every single situation. So we also are mindful for, mindful of, I should say, uh, technology that can serve consumers in an equitable manner, That's regardless a of excellent sophistication point. from a device perspective or technical competency. I think that that's that's something that I think a lot of people would would overlook, you know, because we're so like a lot of people listening to this podcast even are in the U.S. They don't think about you know what's happening like in these smaller countries where they can't have the mm-hmm. best iPhone, you know, like Android is king yeah. because Android is cheap and Android is accessible, and you don't want to lock out those markets, but they need to be included in the same authentication because they're just as susceptible to fraud as the rest of us. It's just when fraud hits them, it can be really really impactful because that's like us losing $300 here in the United States might not be that big of a deal, but someone in like Singapore losing $300 US is going to be the difference between them eating for a month or not. You know, like these are yeah, things that we have sure. to really think for about. Sure. So excellent point. Yeah. And then, and then lastly, um, very excited about the strides that are being made in the convergence of identity and payments where, and that's, that's one of the key, key value propositions that we bring to the table where, your front door login and access 
and your e-commerce transactions and your payment transactions are all happening by the same person with the same bank. And how can we further move the industry forward in this convergence of identity and payments from an authentication perspective? And uh, spending a lot of time thinking about that, prototyping some solutions and working with various industry partners in that in that area. Excellent. I think that you are a spot on on that. You know, like used to be it was fraud payments and identity were the three pillars of of what we did in, in the fraud prevention world. But the identity and the payments has come so close, especially with the faster payments. You know, like you need to know who's sending that money. You need to know where it's going and the authentication piece on the banking side to do the actions that like some of these these banking apps can do now opening credit applications, you know, processing mortgage loans, processing car loans. You know, all of these things can be done like there's there's such strong identity pieces that need to come in with these exact payments things. Like, so the payments are going to the right place so they know they can make the payments. 100% right. Like, I think that like these, the future of, of identity is getting exciting. You know, like I think the biggest breakthrough in the last 10 years was like, oh, we could take a selfie and we can match it up to like your identity, like your, or your, uh, your driver's license. But that's really impactful as far as like, now, like I, I get frustrated trying to open up something that wants me to do that. And then I got to walk in here into the office, grab my, my ID, do all that. When like, if I could just be authenticated, right on the couch it's it would be mm -hmm. a lot a lot easier you know so yeah yeah <clears throat> there we go so that brings us to the end of our ted talk today uh which has <laughs> been very fun like i said i've been really excited to have you guys on here so thank you for giving me the time i will put links to intersect and any um sort of demos that i find in the body of this and i will put your linkedin on there so if people want to add you uh but i am going to put um a link probably to I think Greg's in sales if I'm not mistaken I'll probably put Greg yes. as the sales contact because I don't think that you're really doing sales <laughs> but uh I'll just I'll link him on there for for if people want to learn more uh as I think like sure. you know you guys are in such the fintech space that some of us more mm -hmm. e-commerce people might not be as aware that we have this option too as, as as one at our fingertips that we can purchase and we can use and we can leverage um, so yeah, so thank you for your time. Thank you for all your notes. It's a very thorough notes. I really appreciate when my guests do thorough notes. I love that. Makes my day a lot easier. So thank you for taking the time to do that. No, Jordan, thank you so much for having me. Love chatting about this subject, which is very close to my heart. Uh, and um, you've, you're doing a lot of great work in bringing voices and views from across the spectrum. Thank you. Um, and 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 it's it's great fun following your podcast now being part of it so thank you so much Jordan. yeah thank you thank you again for coming on thank you for the kind words and i hope i'm delivering content for everybody that they like i really appreciate it and again thank you for your time thanks for listening to today's episode I really hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to visit our incredible friends and sponsor Spec. Get your holiday team ready with full visibility into the customer journey all season long using their patented no-code orchestration platform and be ready for whatever comes your way with the ability to collect data, call third-party APIs, build logic and workflows, all with the ability to take action anywhere in the entire customer journey. Visit www.specprotected.com to schedule your demo and learn more. Thank you.